Good evening, and welcome to Nighty Night with Rabia Chaudhry. I'm DJ Lubel, the show's producer. Tonight's tale is about a family that seems to forget one of the most important rules when going on vacation. When in Rome, do as the Romans do, or at least always listen to their warnings. Please enjoy The Children Taken. Once upon a time, there was a family of travelers that didn't heed the advice of locals. Their vacation began, as many vacations do, with absolutely nothing going according to plan. Sarah and Tom had planned the trip months ago. Finding a week where their schedules aligned and they could slip away together, leaving the kids behind, even if just for a few days, was no easy task. Their lives were a hectic, constant swirl of work, school events, after-school activities, soccer and tennis camp, and piano lessons for the kids. They could barely come up for air and lately had been feeling like strangers to each other. So spending an intimate few days in a luxury hotel in the mountains was what they needed to recharge and reconnect. But their bags were already packed when it all fell apart. A stomachache had morphed into full-blown appendicitis, and just like that, the world's most trustworthy babysitter, Tom's sister no less, couldn't make it. Jeremy was only eight, and Stephanie had just turned ten, not nearly old enough to leave alone, and finding someone they trusted that could keep the kids for a week at the last minute was impossible. Their only options were to cancel the trip and lose the deposit, or just bring the kids along. Forget it, said Tom. The whole point of the trip was to get time together alone. Sarah agreed. She desperately needed a break. Her kids were her life, but she just didn't want them on this trip. Ultimately, they decided it wasn't ideal, but they would have to make it work, and they'd have to plan their own getaway another time. The next morning, they loaded the kids into the car and headed out. As they drove further and further away from the city, Tom and Sarah felt more and more relaxed. Large buildings slowly gave way to groups of huddled homes. Stores and parks melted into fields and trees. The kids buzzed with excitement, and Sarah began to think that while this trip wasn't what was planned, it was turning out okay. She hummed a song, stared out the window at the changing landscape, and smiled to herself. Sometimes, things not going according to plan is actually what everyone needs. As the miles ticked by, the excited hum in the backseat slowed down and then stopped altogether. Soon, it was replaced with the bored frustration known to all parents, one that made it clear to Tom and Sarah that they were not going to be making it to the hotel without finding a place to stop first. As the bursts of conversation from the kids turned shorter and snippier, Tom began scanning for a place they could stop to stretch their legs. While the children mostly got along, being stuck in the backseat of a car for hours on end was testing their friendship. They were lucky, Sarah knew. Plenty of siblings didn't get along at all, but these two were usually thick as thieves. Right now, though, they were just getting on each other's last nerve. Just then, as they began ascending the valley towards the mountains, the Green Orchard Gas and Convenience Store came into view, promising gas, snacks, and bathrooms. Tom pulled off the empty two-lane road up to the little store. You can each pick out one snack, Sarah shouted as Jeremy and Steph sprinted to the store. She smiled at Tom and reached out for his hand. She took a few deep breaths of the fresh country air, which was sweeter and cleaner than anything that existed back in the city, and then they followed their kids inside. 
The store was small, but clean, and Sarah watched as Jeremy and Steph wandered up and down the aisles examining the chips and cookies and candy. An elderly man complained about the price of gas to the friendly-looking woman standing behind the counter, and she smiled and nodded, agreeing with him. The bathrooms were immaculate and empty, and the coffee was fresh and hot. In short, it was exactly the kind of spot you hope to stop at when you're traveling. Sarah navigated a small selection of books, choosing a thriller to read by the pool, and then collected the snacks that the kids had picked out. By the time she got to the checkout as Tom herded the kids back to the car, Sarah had an entire armful of goodies to pay for. She fished around in her purse with one hand to find her wallet and noticed a picture of a young girl with dark hair taped to the front of the cash register. Sarah smiled at the photograph. Must be the cashier's daughter, she thought. So nice to see young families in here, said the woman behind the counter, nodding towards the older man who had been so cranky about the cost of gas earlier and who was still in the corner of the store comparing prices on bottles of water. What brings you to the area? Visiting or passing through? Uh, we're here for vacation, Sarah smiled. We're staying at the Grand Mountain Hotel. Do you know it? The woman nodded with a grin. Oh, you'll love it. It's a wonderful spot to stay, but, you know, just one piece of advice so you don't get lost. I think you're staying at the Grand Mountain Resort, not the Grand Mountain Hotel, because the hotel is actually an older building all the way up in the top of the mountain. Sarah furrowed her brow as the woman continued. See, they're both owned by the same company, and they really should change the name to avoid confusion, but, but just in case you get turned around and need directions, you'll want to make sure you're asking for the right one, you know. Otherwise, you're liable to end up at a place that you don't want to be. Sarah's face stayed confused, and the woman continued. Your kids, actually. See, that's, that's how I knew. Families stay at the resort. The hotel is adults only. Sarah shook her head. Well, we, we didn't think we were bringing the kids when we booked, but actually we're staying at the hotel and not the resort. The woman's eyes turned hard in an instant. You'll want to change then. Tell them about the kids when you get there, because, you know, an old building like that's no place for kids. It just wouldn't be safe. Sarah blinked at the lady and responded. Uh, well, thanks, but I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. The hotel looks great. The woman moved quickly and grabbed Sarah's wrist hard. Tell them at the desk when you arrive that you decided to bring the kids and ask them if they'll switch you to the resort. I'm telling you that building is not safe for kids to be wandering around in. There have been, there've, there've been accidents, and, and they're very accommodating with these things. Sarah pulled her wrist firmly away, and the woman released her grip. She smiled as she went back to bagging the items on the counter. I just want to make sure you enjoy your time in the area, is all. I mean, you know, tourism is a big deal for us. I'm sure you'll have a wonderful trip. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we will too, Sarah mumbled. She got back to the car quickly, her face red. Tom could see something was wrong. She told him what the woman had said, how she grabbed her wrist and insisted that the hotel wasn't safe. Yeah, well, look, I'm not changing our plans because some crazy woman doesn't think kids belong in a nice hotel. They'll be fine. What kind of trouble could they get into with us there? We're not changing where we're staying. Sarah felt embarrassed about taking the woman even a little bit seriously, but Tom was probably right. The woman did seem a bit crazy. Why would they change their entire plans because a stranger told them to? Plus, she was lying. The hotel wasn't adults only. It didn't say anything like that on the website. Tom pulled the car out of the parking lot and onto the road that climbed uphill towards the hotel. Sarah returned to staring out the window, feeling her alarm grow duller as they ascended the slope of the mountain. She watched as they passed the turn off to the resort, and a little voice inside her told her to follow the sign. 
She ignored the voice, though, and she said nothing to Tom. The Grand Mountain Hotel loomed at the summit of the mountain, a behemoth of sandstone, gothic and intimidating, that perched above the valley below. They pulled into the massive circular driveway and stopped in front of the pillars that framed the entrance. The bellhop that had come running with a luggage cart stared at the children while Tom began unloading the car, and Sarah entered the massive carved doors to check them in. The lobby was immense and dark, and Sarah guided Jeremy and Steph towards the front desk. The walls were covered with large tapestries and paintings framed in gold, and a silent grand piano sat in the corner. The deep red carpet was almost ominous, and a shudder ran through Sarah. The man standing behind the front desk, made of polished wood that shone under the lights, smiled politely but coldly at her. He wore a name tag that identified him as Edgar, the manager. "Ma'am," he said to her, "you missed the turnoff for the resort halfway up the mountain." Sarah set her jaw. "No, we're staying here. You'll find the reservations under the name Fraser." He took his eyes off of her to look at a computer screen and then met her gaze again. Mrs. Fraser, my apologies, but you told us when you booked that it would just be you and your husband on this visit. Otherwise, we would have directed you to the resort. It's much more family friendly. We can change your booking without any fee, and you'll find the resort's much more comfortable and enjoyable for your children. <sighs> well, Sarah replied, exasperated. We didn't know we'd be bringing the children we booked, but this will be fine. We don't need to change, and we're looking forward to staying here. Edgar frowned. Children are not allowed in the dining rooms here. He replied. Well, we like room service anyway. This now seemed to be a challenge, and Sarah was not backing down. Look, I checked the website, and there were no age restrictions for staying on the property. And the suite that we booked accommodates four people, so I don't understand what the issue is. Tom arrived and now stood by Sarah's side, joining the standoff. Is there a problem? He inquired. Edgar smiled politely. Not at all, Mister Fraser. I, I was just explaining to your wife that you'd all be much more comfortable at the resort. We have pretty strict rules here. Like children are not allowed in the dining rooms. They can't be in the hotel common spaces or elevators alone. It's really quite a hassle. The resort has lots of activities and areas for children, and there'll be other children there as well. Tom shook his head. We'll be fine, and are happy to follow any rules you have here. We're not interested in changing our plans, though. Edgar nodded slowly, fixing his eyes on Sarah. Please do pay very close attention to your children. Again, we'd be happy to change you to a family suite at the resort if you change your mind. I think you'd enjoy it a lot more. However, I I will fetch your keys. Edgar turned and walked away. Jeremy looked at his parents with concern. Are we going to get thrown out? Tom ruffled his son's hair and smiled. Not at all, buddy. Don't worry about it. He leaned over to Sarah and whispered in her ear. Wait till I review this place online. Edgar returned a moment later. You'll be on the thirteenth floor. Please remember once again that children are not allowed to be unsupervised in the hotel at any time and cannot be alone in the elevators. He slid the plastic card keys across the counter, nodding towards the children. We're very strict on our rules here, but they are for their safety. Tom collected the keys and shook his head at Edgar, and the family walked towards the elevator bank. Jeremy rushed ahead so he could beat his sister at pressing the call button, and the four of them entered the musty-smelling elevator, mirrored on all four sides, the floor covered in the same dark red carpet as the lobby. 
Tom glanced at the buttons and hit the number 13. The elevator groaned, hesitating for a second while the lights flickered. Then, the car began to climb. Tom smiled. Mystery solved. They're worried about our kids getting stuck in this old thing. Imagine that lawsuit. Sarah laughed in agreement at the absurdity of the realization. Yeah, mystery solved. Their suite was cavernous, an enormous amount of space with panoramic views of the surrounding hills. They unpacked and ordered room service and put on a movie, but Sarah kept turning to look at the breathtaking view beyond the window. She was glad they hadn't switched to the resort. Nothing they could offer would make up for these views. The next couple of days passed well, with hikes on local trails and hours by the pool. In the backdrop, though, was Edgar, who turned up at all hours of the day, it seemed, glaring at the children. He seemed intent on catching them misbehaving, though he never managed to. They watched movies together in the evenings and ate piles of candy from the hotel gift shop. Sarah made sure the kids weren't left unsupervised anywhere. She admitted to herself that she was just a little bit afraid of Edgar and didn't want to give him any excuse to kick them out. Things were going great and she wanted to keep it that way. One morning, a few days into their vacation, the family had just arrived at the pool when Jeremy announced that he'd forgotten his book back in the room. Tom and Sarah were both half covered in sunscreen and told him to wait so one of them could go back inside with him. Jeremy bounced around and moaned. It's okay, I can go. I'll be fast, I promise. I won't even use the elevator, I'll just go up the stairs. Come on, it's not a big deal, I'm not a baby. Sarah looked around. They were alone at the pool and Edgar was nowhere in sight. She sighed. Okay, just don't go through the lobby, don't use the elevator, and be quick. She handed him a key and watched as he took off, disappearing into the building. Only a few minutes had passed when Jeremy returned with Edgar, whose glare was unrelenting. I reminded you multiple times of the rules, but I just found your child wandering the hotel by himself. Well, come on now, he wasn't wandering, Tom responded. He was just running up to our room. He wasn't going to use the elevator. He just forgot the book he's reading. Edgar's eyes narrowed and his words became a hiss, each one enunciated carefully. You have no way of knowing he wouldn't use it, since you weren't there. Sarah tried to defuse the situation before it spiraled. I'm so very sorry, Edgar. It was a mistake. I promise we won't make it again. Edgar turned to look at her. See that it doesn't. If there's another incident, I'm afraid you'll have to leave. Safety is one thing I cannot make exceptions on. With that, he turned and walked into the hotel. Tom met Sarah's gaze and rolled his eyes. That guy must be fun at parties. The rest of the day passed as the others had, swimming and lounging in the sun. Early in the afternoon, they decided it was time to head back up, take showers, and order some lunch. They entered the old elevator, the blood-red carpet reflecting all around them. As they rode up, slowly passing floor after floor, Sarah heard a sound that seemed to swell up from the elevator shaft. It sounded faintly like a child crying. She squinted, trying to listen closer. Yes, it was definitely a child crying. Sarah shook her head, irritated. Wow, Edgar, she thought. Looks like the no-kids policy was just for us. They spent the rest of the day in their room, but as dinnertime approached, the kids had had enough of room service. Can we just go get burgers or something? Stephanie groaned. Sarah reluctantly changed out of her loungewear and followed the rest of the family to the elevator. Twice, the elevator opened with people already packed in it. 
Looks like everyone had the same idea we did, Tom noted, as the third elevator also opened to show it was nearly full. This time Stephanie, seeing a spot in front of the elevator, quickly stepped in. She smiled and waved as the doors closed before Sarah could grab her. Sarah threw up her hands. Jesus, I hope Edgar doesn't see her, she said. I just don't want the headache. Well, technically, she's not alone, right? Tom responded. Sarah nodded. That was true. A few minutes later, an empty elevator car finally arrived. As they descended, Sarah heard it again. A child crying. She looked at Tom, but his eyes were fixed on his phone. He probably didn't hear anything. Arriving in the lobby, they found Edgar standing next to Stephanie, glaring at them before they were even off the elevator. You let your child use the elevator alone. She wasn't alone, Edgar, Tom replied. She was with half a dozen other people, and you couldn't fit another person on that elevator if you tried. Well, what if they got off before her? You didn't know that she wasn't going to end up alone, did you? Edgar was having a hard time restraining his anger. I've been very clear on the rules, but neither I nor the other guests are babysitters for you. Sarah nodded. We'll take the stairs next time, Edgar. Without saying a word, Edgar turned and walked away. Later that night, after they had returned with tummies full of fast food, the kids were asleep and Tom was snoring fitfully, Sarah decided to apologize to Edgar. After all, he was just trying to keep the kids safe and they kept breaking the rules. She rode the elevator down to the lobby as its lights flickered. This time, the ride was quiet. She could see that Edgar was busy with a guest. Sarah stood a respectful distance away while waiting for Edgar to finish up, but also curious about the hushed but angry back and forth between him and the woman at the counter. Edgar looked up and saw Sarah and finished the conversation quickly, retreating into a back office. The woman he had been speaking to turned around, leaving Sarah face to face with the woman from the gas station. The woman seemed momentarily taken back and briskly walked over to Sarah, getting far closer to her than necessary. You should not be here, she hissed. It took Sarah a moment to get her bearings. She stumbled over her words when her mouth finally opened. We're fine, thanks. We're having a great time. This place is not safe for children. I told you that before you arrived. They can put you at the resort still. You need to go today. Now. The woman's insistence scared Sarah, but she crossed her arms. We are perfectly capable of keeping our children safe and they're having a great time and frankly, this is none of your business. You cannot keep them safe. Not here. They'll be tempted. They're always tempted. Please. The look in her eyes changed, softened. Sadness, fear. Sarah wasn't sure what it was. Just please leave here today. Do it for your children. Sarah stared at her, unsure how to respond. This woman really come all this way just to find Sarah and her family and harass them? Was she a stalker? The woman's eyes grew wet and she wiped a tear with the back of her hand. Please, please, I'm begging you. Otherwise, you're going to regret coming here. She paused as though she was considering her words. I'm not threatening you. I'm just telling you for the last time. This is not a safe place for children. With that, she suddenly turned and walked away. Sarah stood in the dark lobby alone, her chest constricted. She felt anxiety clawing at her throat and her head was pounding. She returned upstairs without talking to Edgar and slipped into bed. She felt exhausted, and yet that night, she couldn't sleep a wink. When Tom awoke the next morning, he found Sarah cocooned in a sheet, eyes wide open, staring at the ceiling. 
She quietly told him all that had transpired the night before and grasped his arm. Maybe, maybe we should just go. Not to the resort. Let's just go home. Tom rubbed his eyes and reached for his phone on the nightstand to see the time. It was nearly 10 a.m. Strange that the kids hadn't woken them up yet. Look, babe, we're here one more day. The kids are loving it. We haven't had downtime like this in years. Yeah, it's crazy that that woman ended up here, but maybe it was just a coincidence. Maybe she had some business here or knows somebody here. And when she saw you, she just doubled down on what she said before. Sarah stayed quiet, but the lump in her throat hadn't left since last night. Let's get up. I'm hungry. I can't believe the kids slept so late. Can you go check on them? Tom said as he rolled out of bed and disappeared into the bathroom. Sarah made her way across the suite to the kids' bedroom. She didn't hear a sound. No morning giggles or television. No light at all coming from under the door. Amazing. They must have really gotten worn out the day before. Usually they were both up by 7 a.m. There was no sleeping in with these two. She cracked open the door and her eyes adjusted to the dark. Before her were two double beds, neatly made, with neither Stephanie or Jeremy in them. Sarah flipped on the lights, her stomach taut with panic. The bathroom door that connected to the room stood ajar, and the bathroom itself was open, dark, and empty. Tom! Tom! Sarah backed out of the door frantically. Nearly tripping back to her room, she saw a yellow piece of paper on the coffee table and grabbed at it. Mom, Dad, you guys are so tired we didn't want to wake you. We're down by the pool. The note was signed with a happy face. Oh God, how long ago did they leave that note, Sarah wondered. Why didn't she hear them go? She'd been awake all night. But but maybe that was it. Maybe she was so tired she dozed off here and there. And that's when the two of them snuck out. Sarah grabbed a room key and hastily pulled on her shoes. Tom was still in the bathroom and she wasn't going to wait another minute for him. She had to get downstairs now. Sarah stood in the deserted hallway for a few minutes, jabbing at the elevator button. Forget it, she thought, and pushed through the heavy door to the stairwell. She sprinted down 13 floors and out to the pool. There wasn't a soul in sight. The kids weren't at the pool. Her heart felt like it would burst through her chest and she fought a wave of dizziness to make her way to the front desk. Edgar stood there, where he always was, absorbed in his computer screen. <sighs> have, you, have you seen the kids? Sarah panted. Edgar looked slowly up at her, his eyebrows arched. Excuse me, Edgar said. We woke up and they were gone. They left a note that they were by the pool, but there's no one there. Sarah tried to steady her voice, which shook as hard as her hands were trembling. The color in Edgar's face drained. How long have they been gone? Sarah shook her head. I don't know, I just, I didn't hear them leave. Edgar turned on his heel and walked swiftly into the back room. Sarah followed him and saw him hunched over a set of small monitors. I'm checking the security footage, just, just give me a moment. He pressed some buttons and the video whirred backwards. He pressed others and different views of the hotel popped up. There, there they are. Sarah leaned forward to peer at the black and white footage of Stephanie and Jeremy enter the camera's view directly in front of the elevator on the 13th floor. Both children stood with their backs towards the camera, Stephanie with her beach bag slung over her shoulder and Jeremy holding towels. Both were in their swimming suits. After fidgeting a few moments, Jeremy motioned for the stairwell, but Steph waved him off. A moment later, the elevator door opened and they entered it. Just as the elevator door closed, both Stephanie and Jeremy looked up directly into the camera. The timestamp was 8.17 a.m. Edgar pushed a few more buttons and the view from the main floor popped up the camera directed at the elevator door. He rewound the footage and stopped at 8.17 a.m. 
Together, Sarah and Edgar watched and waited. Minutes ticked by, and finally the light above the elevator door lit up, showing it had arrived. The door slowly opened, and the elevator was empty. All the floors! I need you to check all the floors! Sarah nearly shouted. Ten minutes later, Edgar was on the phone. I need to report two missing children. The rest of the day passed in a blur as police and hotel employees knocked on the door of every occupied room and checked every empty one. Closets and stairwells were searched, canines brought in to catch a scent. Sarah tearfully handed over the clothing the kids had worn the day before and watched as the dogs sniffed Jeremy's t-shirt and Steph's cardigan and sprinted out of their hotel suite down the hallway and stopped at the elevator. They tried it three times. Each time, the dogs stopped at the elevator. Tom alternated between rage and tears, certain that Edgar had something to do with this. He must have altered the videotape. There was no other explanation. He knew where the kids were, and he altered the tape so it looked like they disappeared. Why, Tom demanded, weren't the police arresting Edgar? But the kind-faced, heavy-set detective shook his head. He knew that Edgar had nothing to do with this. Everyone who knew anything about the hotel knew that. As the night wore on, Sarah demanded every guest be detained, convinced the children were still in the hotel somewhere. Maybe another guest had ambushed them. Tom demanded a search of the surrounding woods. They both begged the police to find the strange woman who had been stalking them. The police complied, questioning each guest, searching every room multiple times, looking under beds and inside wardrobes. Volunteers showed up the next day to search the trails and hills, but found nothing. The children were simply gone. A year had passed since the children disappeared, and it had been six months since the separation. Sarah got into her car and drove. She left the empty house and the for-sale sign in the front yard behind, driving without realizing where she was going. The city faded away behind her, and she kept driving. Night had fallen when Sarah pulled into the Green Orchard Gas and Convenience Store. She stood in the door for a few minutes until the woman looked up and saw her. Their eyes locked, and the woman slowly walked around the counter towards Sarah. About your kids, I'm sorry. I tried. I swear, I really tried to tell you, but... She trailed off. How... how did you know? Sarah replied. My name, by the way, is Rachel. I'm Sarah. Look, the police know the kids aren't coming back when they vanish, Rachel began. They go through the motions because they have to. What does that even mean? The kids? Other kids? Sarah asked. Yes, Sarah, there have been other kids, Rachel said. And they never come back. She turned towards the register and moved a display of candy to the side. The picture of the young girl with the dark hair was still taped there, and hidden behind the candy had been the words missing in large red letters. It was my daughter last time, four years ago, Rachel said. A mother-daughter trip to celebrate the end of the school year. And just like you, I was told that we shouldn't stay at the hotel, but I didn't listen. Sarah's vision swam, and the image that had haunted her for the past year, that of her children looking up into the camera as the elevator door closed, flashed by. How did it happen? Rachel shook her head. She was entranced by the elevator. It was just the weirdest thing. But you know, eight-year-olds. I kept finding her in the hall, staring at it. She said she heard a baby crying, but there was no baby. I mean, there weren't any other kids at the hotel, at least. Our last night there, I was fast asleep, and she snuck out of bed, walked out the door, and into the elevator. 
There was video, you know. That's how I know she got into the elevator. Rachel stopped, fishing in her pockets for a tissue. I never saw her again. After it happened, I heard stories that she wasn't the first. Other kids over the decades. They're just gone. I moved out here afterwards, hoping I'd find her, or maybe just hoping I could stop it from happening again. Sarah looked out of the glass doors in the direction of the hotel. I don't understand. What, what is it? Well, before it was a hotel, it was a sanatorium. This was like over a hundred years ago. They had an entire wing for juveniles, unwanted kids. Rumors were that the patients were virtually tortured, sometimes starved, beaten to release their diseases, lobotomies and electric shock therapy and all of it. Sarah felt her blood run cold as Rachel continued. Around the turn of the century, the entire wing burned down. Every single child perished, but not a single adult. The fire started in the dumbwaiter shaft, and when they turned it into a hotel, well, you guessed it, that became the elevator shaft. If I could have, I would have burned the whole place down years ago. That's so horrible. But what does that have to do with... Rachel cut her off. Did you want your kids? Sarah stared at the woman. What? Of course, I mean, everyone wants their kids. No, not everyone does. I was a single mother, and there were lots of days I struggled. Days that I didn't want to be one. Rachel turned to look Sarah in the eyes. Sometimes I think maybe, maybe it's a place that takes children that aren't wanted. Maybe it takes them to a better place. Sarah remembered back to the fleeting thought she had when they first set out on the trip, that she just didn't want the kids there. Her gut seized in horror. Rachel went on. I don't know how many days, months I spent in those elevators, listening for those sounds, sobbing, falling asleep and waking up and still being in the elevator looking for answers. Did you find any? Rachel shook her head. No, nothing. Nothing but more questions. You spend enough time on an elevator and you go a little crazy. Up and down, doors opening on floors that all look exactly the same, listening to see if you hear the sounds of children crying. It gets to you. Sarah nodded. I heard it too. Anger rose from somewhere deep inside her. Why didn't anyone tell them the truth? Wait, why didn't you or Edgar tell us? Rachel shot her a look. He did. I did. What did you expect us to say? That the hotel eats children? The only reason Edgar works there is to try and stop it from happening. Because he lost someone, too. I'm sorry this happened to you. I don't know what happened to our children. But I hope they're together. Rachel blew her nose and went back behind the counter. Sarah turned and walked back into the dark parking lot. She looked up the mountain towards the hotel, knowing that it stood looming in the darkness. She looked in the other direction, towards the city and whatever remained of her life there. Would it be today? Sarah couldn't be sure. It could be now, or in a week, or a year, or a decade. But one day she would drive up the mountain and walk through the doors. Edgar would see her and nod, understanding why she had returned. She would ride the elevator up and down, over and over, until the edges of reality bled into the darkness. Someday the elevator doors would open, and she wouldn't freeze, She'd walk into the darkness and find what happened to her children. Sarah climbed into her car and started the engine and pulled out into the night. Remember, dear listeners, heed the warnings of strangers and always hold your little ones tight. Nighty night, don't let the nightmares bite.
Today's story, The Children Taken, was co-written by myself and Nick Morfox, and it's based both on my own irrational fears of my kids getting lost in hotels, and also loosely based on the mythical Javanese monster called the Witwe Gombel. According to the legend, Witwe Gombel is the vengeful spirit of a woman who was scorned by her husband for not bearing him any children. During her life, her husband abandoned her and took on other lovers. And when she discovered this, she killed him in a rage, and then she took her own life. Even in death, though, she longs for children, so she abducts unwanted or neglected children and hides them in a nest that she's built. She never harms the children, and once they're with her, they no longer fear her. She treats them as if they were her grandchildren, protecting and loving them. And if she feels the parents have repented for their neglect, she may one day. Return the children taken. Tonight's story was written by Nick Morfox and Rabia Chaudhry. Nighty Night is executive produced by Rabia Chaudhry and Colin Thompson. It's produced by DJ Lou Bell. It's edited and sound designed by Anton Doty. Original music by Andrew Gerlicher. 